Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. In this episode, I interview Coach Bob Gallagher. He's an assistant men's basketball coach at Bowling Green. Coach, how's it going? Good, Coach. Appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. No problem. You want to give yourself a brief introduction to the listeners? Yeah, my name is Bob Gallagher. I just joined the staff at Bowling Green, um, assistant coach, and we're just getting started here in our first season. So, now I know you grew up in New York. Talk about growing up outside Syracuse. Yeah, it was a good experience, man. Uh, you know, sports family. My first love was football. Uh, my dad played college football at Temple. You know, always wanted to, always wanted to be a college football player as a young kid. Fell in love with basketball and. Um, you know, I really wanted to play in college, and uh, I was, you know, I was probably a Division four player. I thought I thought I was really good at the time, but looking back at it, you know, I was pretty average. But uh, I was really competitive and enjoyed playing. And uh, where I grew up is more of like a lacrosse town. Lacrosse was huge, you know, where I was at. But I always loved basketball, man. Um, grew up a big Syracuse fan. You know, Jerry McNamara, Carmelo Anthony, right when they won the national championship, um, kind of when I fell in love with the game. So I was inspired by those guys. It's funny looking back on it, how, you know, we think we're at a certain level and now that we're kind of in the profession and seeing how, yeah. no, not everybody's a college basketball player. No, it's not no, how it 100%. works. Yeah, no, I, got, I uh, you know, I got to been playing with a bunch of high level players, you know, going to prep school and just jumping in runs and stuff. And I, you know, get humbled quickly. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so you did play varsity basketball at Jordan Elbridge High School. Yep. And you served as a team captain your senior year. Yeah. What was that playing experience like? And you know, did you have any opportunities to play at the college level? Um, yeah, so it was a really good experience. Um, I only had one other college level basketball player at the time on my team. He ended up going to uh, he played JUCO at OCC, you know, right down the road, ended up going to Division Three Potsdam. And uh, you know, he averaged like 20 points a game. I averaged like 13. Um, I didn't really have any opportunities. I, I had, uh, sent emails out to a bunch of division threes and, you know, they were interested in bringing me in, you know, let me try out, but I didn't have any guaranteed roster spots. Um, you know, I thought about maybe playing at a community college, things like that, but then I kind of focused on trying to be a division one walk on, you know, I, I got into St. Bonaventure, I got into Niagara and it was kind of between those two. Cause I, I thought, uh, being a part of a division one program would be pretty cool. So you end up going to St. Bonaventure, and I'm curious, how did you get connected with the men's basketball program, and what was the process like for being a student manager back then? Yeah, so I kind of had an interesting journey to becoming a manager. Um, I tried out my freshman year, tried walking on, had a good tryout. Um, you know, we played five on five at the end, and the, you know, I, I did a pretty good job. The guy I was guarding ended up um, making the team, and he quit a year later, or he quit a week later. He quit a week later. So I was like, all right, I'm going to stay in the gym. I'm going to try out my sophomore year. And then what happened was my sophomore year, they just brought up a manager and let him be a walk and they didn't even have tryouts. So I was kind of crushed. And, you know, they, this, um, the program had emailed me and said, you know, we'd love to have you as a manager. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm too good to be a manager. I'm too good of a player. I didn't really understand what being a manager was. And then I started doing some research and I realized, you know, guys like Lawrence Frank, you know, as a manager, you know, Buzz Williams, these guys had became coaches from being a manager. So I, you know, 
I thought it was a path. So ended up joining my junior year. Um, good friend, Steve Marcus, who I was in the same class. He ended up helping me get on and, you know, I loved it. I was, I really fell in love with it by being in the individual workouts with the assistant coaches and helping rebound and stuff like that. Just being part of the team was really cool. Who are some of the coaches on staff that you were close with and what responsibilities did you have as a student manager? You know, you guys had a really good year beating 19th ranked UMass, having a four game win streak, knocking off 18th ranked St. Louis in the semifinals of the A-10 tournament. Yep. How much of the staff continuity help with the success and who were the heavy hitters in the A-10 uh, during your uh, time there? Well, when I first, when I first got there, um, you know, Temple and Xavier were in the league. Um, UMass was always good. VCU joined the league. Butler was in the league for a little while. Uh, Dayton with Archie Miller, they had an unbelievable run. You know, they made an elite eight. Um, I mean, the league was really, really good. LaSalle made a sweet 16 while I was in the league. Um, yeah, man, it was, it was deep. And uh, Rhode Island with Danny Hurley, they went on a huge run. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of big time schools in that league that uh, had some serious runs. What camps did you work in the summer and what was your role with the St. Bonaventure camps? So I, uh, I worked hoop group a ton. Um, I was a runner at hoop group. Um, I think two summers in a row. Um, you know, I was there the entire summer in Reading, Pennsylvania with the hoop group elite camps. And uh, I'd go back and work the Bonaventure camps. And really, the camps um, helped me get my graduate assistant position at um, St. Bonaventure. So after I finished up my senior year and it was time to meet for me to find a GA spot, I, um, you know, I asked the director of Ops, Mapapano, if I could, hey, if I pay for a place to stay this summer, can I help you run the camps? And um, essentially, I was the associate camp director and I went to all the local businesses and put up flyers and reached out to all the high school coaches and really, you know, put the camp together, organized the dorms. And, you know, me and the director of ops pretty much ran the whole camp together. And then uh, we did such a good job. It was on the last day at camp. We had just won the league title the year before. And Coach Schmidt called me into his office like midday at camp and was like, hey, you know, I got a new contract and I have a graduate assistant position. And, uh, you know, I want you to want you to stay and be the first graduate assistant here. So I got really lucky. But if I didn't, you know, if I didn't stay and help run the camp and pay for my pay for my apartment and grind it out, you know, I probably wouldn't have that opportunity. And that was the year the team went 22 and nine. Yeah. That was a heck of a season. Uh, you, know, you guys, like you said, regular season championship, go to the NIT. You yeah, guys... we were the highest RPI team uh, to to get snubbed. Uh, it was a three-way tie between us, VCU, and Dayton to win the league. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was the year that the, the bracket got leaked on Twitter. So we had this big party. And we thought we were 100% in. You know, we just won the A-10. And um, the bracket gets leaked, and we have this big party, and we're and we're watching the the selection show. And the and the bracket had everything right. And we're like, no, no, we're still going to get in. We're still going to get in. And uh, 
we end up not getting in. It was devastating. Yeah, I mean, you guys knocked off Ohio, Vermont, Buffalo. Like you said, uh, uh, wins over Davidson, Mason, Rhode Island, Richmond, St. Joe's, Dayton when they were ranked number 15, despite not making the big dance. What was the highlight of the season for you and why? Uh, the highlight of the season for me was uh, Marcus Posley, who was actually my roommate at the time. He scored 47 points against St. Joe's, and uh, he was going against the A-10 player of the year, DeAndre Bembry, who, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's still in the league. Um, we were playing in Rochester, New York, and um, there was no jumbotron, so you, you couldn't see how many points you know the players were scoring. So every media timeout, we were sprinting over to the table to get the box score to give to the to the assistants, and we were just checking. We're like, oh, he's got 35. Oh, he's got 39, 40, you know, and, you know, he scores 47 points in Rochester. And he was, that's the hottest I've ever seen a player get. It was unbelievable. You know, earlier you talked about Steve Curran, and I actually met him a few weeks ago. I was working at camp at George Mason, and, uh, you know, it was a small gesture, but like he asked, say, you're from South Carolina, right? You know, obviously at least knew that I coached at Wofford. So, you know, it made a great impression on me what are some things that you learned from him? And like you said, he's really helped you with landing the jobs. Um, talk about him as a mentor as well. Uh, first and foremost, he was an incredible relationship guy. Uh, you know, he treated people really well. You know, he treated the managers great. You know, he treated the players great. You know, he's well-respected in prep school, well-respected in JUCO. You know, he's a real big relationship guy and, he recruited most of the players, almost all the players at St. Bonaventure during our run. Um, but he's just, he was just a regular guy, you know, not, you know, a good person. And, uh, you know, he taught me about relationships and he took players that didn't have Atlantic 10 offers, you know, where they're only a 10 offer and he could find talent and he was good at developing players. You know, he found players with a chip on their shoulder that were gym rats that were hungry you know, so what I learned from him was, you know, relationships are everything, you know, as far as recruiting and as far as getting players to to trust you and to play hard. And then, you know, being able to identify talent and, you know, see intangibles, you know, guys with chips on their shoulders and guys that are going to develop, um, you know, is really important, especially at the mid-major level. You know, you got to be able to find guys um, that are under the radar but that you know, you know, have a chance to get better. You also talked about Hoop Group earlier. Who were some of the other runners, and uh, what was that experience like for you? I know a lot of our listeners have worked Hoop Group. I've worked Hoop Group, so, you know, it's quite the fraternity. Yeah, I mean, I, the best thing that Hoop – two things that Hoop Group really did for me. One, it taught me how to work really hard. I mean, the hours were very, very long, and, um, you know, it was tough work. But the second thing was I was around a lot of people my age that were trying to break in. You know, I was I was with Greg Fahey, you know, he's an assistant at Siena last year. Now he's a special assistant at Georgetown. You know, I worked with Justin Levine, who's an assistant at UNC Asheville. Um, my guy, Andy Stark, um, who was on the staff at Baylor. And uh, now he's at DeUville. You know, he's another manager at St. Bonaventure. I was with him. 
and it was just like it was an unbelievable group of guys um that have all gone on to you know I was with Eamon Marr who's at Bryant now he's working at the hoop group and a bunch of lifelong friends um that were that were hungry and we were all in together that was one of the coolest things so really appreciate those times 2018 you land a job at Massanutten Military Academy as an assistant under Chad Myers how do you get connected with Chad and what was it like living and coaching at Massanutten yeah, so honestly, Steve Kern was a huge help with that. Um, you know, I was just finishing up my graduate assistant position. And, you know, I had made time to sit with every assistant coach and ask them, you know, what what do I need to do, you know, to be a Division One assistant? You know, what should my path be like? What kind of job should I be looking for? You know, because it's kind of hard to make the jump from GA. You know, do you go video? Do you go ops? Do you go D2, prep school, JUCO? Like there's a million different paths. And they all told me, get around great players. You know, they all said, go to a great JUCO or go to a prep school, get around great players while you're young and make connections with Division One coaches and, and help players get better and, you know, build your network. You know, you're young, invest in your network. So honestly, I was just on hoopdirt.com, just looking for jobs. And I saw Massanutten Military Academy. So I was in Virginia. Um you know, did a little research, saw that Frank Mason played there. And I just, I just texted coach Kern and was like, is this a good job? And he was like, it's a great job. And, um, you know, sent in my resume, had coach Kern call the assistants call coach Schmidt. And then I went down to the final four and I interviewed with Chad in a hotel lobby and we just hit it off instantly. So then I go down to Massanutten and man, it was, uh, it was an experience and it was tough. You know, I was, I was living in the dorms. Um, I had to wake the guys up at six o'clock in the morning, you know, make sure they're in bed at 10 o'clock at night. You know, they had to be in military formation. They had to shave. Uh, they had to cut their hair short. You know, they had to wear a uniform. They had to march to every meal. You know, it was very strict and it was very challenging. And it was like, I had no social life. You know, I was living in the dorm with them. It was basketball, basketball, basketball. I was teaching middle school gym. Um, it was a, it was crazy, demanding and tough. But um, I met probably 150 coaches that year. Like we had an unbelievable team our first year. You know, we had our point guard six six Darion Sebron, who went to play at NC State. And last night for the Pelicans, he scored 25 points on 11 shots. Uh, he's an unbelievable player. You know, we had Jerry McAllister go to VCU, Brandon Suggs, East Carolina, Jarvis Vaughn, Monmouth. You know, we had probably 10 Division One players on that team. And, uh, yeah, I just – for the first time in my life, you know, I had high major coaches calling me, you know, asking about players, and I was meeting them. And I was really just building my network. And for the first time, actually coaching, you know, working guys out, helping guys get better, sending out highlight films to help guys get recruited. Um, you know, it was my first time actually coaching and, and working guys out. Yeah, the first season, like you said, you go 32-3, and three, appearance in the National Prep Tournament Final Four. I'm curious because I know it changes from program to program, coach to coach. What was the recruiting process like for Massanutten recruits, and how difficult was it for you – particularly to balance the recruitment of players on your roster 
with the recruitment of next year's team? So luckily, uh, when I took the job, we had, um, we basically had our core of, you know, like quote unquote high major players, you know, already committed. Um, the, the setup at Mass Nutton was you get five scholarships, five full scholarships, and then you had to bring in like another 10 or 12 kids that were going to pay. And most of those guys would be low major guys that needed a year or borderline division two. Um, but the whole team was college players. And uh, it was very difficult because, you know, you're convincing these, these parents to, to make an investment and pay for them to go. And, um, and they got to do the military stuff, you know, like you got to cut your hair, you got to wear the uniform, um, you know, it's very strict, can't have a car, you know, it's very challenging, but the cool thing about Mass Nutt is like, if you could get through the military stuff, it kind of showed how bad you wanted it. You know, like these guys to make that commitment to push through all the non-basketball stuff, um, it really, it really tested them and showed them how bad they want to be division one players. But yeah, the recruitment for the following season, you know, is challenging. You know, you're, you're going to AAU events um, in the spring and you, you kind of got an idea of some guys that, that you might bring in um, throughout the, throughout the season that you're in, but it's not really like college coaching. Like you're kind of focused on, your group of guys that you have there right now and trying to win and place them because it, it's a full-time job, you know, trying to place 15 kids and get them to committed to schools. So you kind of, you kind of get all the commitments in the spring and the summer, you know, you bring them in after the season to play pickup with the guys and do visits, you know, kind of like you would do in college, but yeah, it's very challenging. Like the next year putting the team together from start, like it's, it's a real grind. And, uh, you get a it, you, it's a smaller pool, you know, because you're you're taking fifth year guys, and you know some of them need to take retake the SAT or retake a high school class, but some of them just didn't get the recruitment they wanted. Um, you know, some of them got to get stronger. Like it's a you're you're getting a whole bunch of different guys, but um, you know it's it's tough to convince them to come to military school. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, I was actually in you know, a small world. I was talking to one of your former players the other day. He called me out of the blue, um, Nate Spurlock. Oh, wow. So this, this is, again, just small world. So I yeah. actually, when I was at Catholic University, went to recruit at Mass and Nutton. And it had to have been while you were still teaching a class because I it was only it was only Chad there. The other system wasn't there either. Yeah. It was like on about last minute workout. I'd like to think it was put on just for me, but I know it wasn't. Um, but then I, you know, obviously I went to to games and saw you guys yeah, you know, handling your business, you know, winning 30 plus games and the, the games I went to luckily were blowouts. And so <laughs> Nate got to get in for a yeah. good amount of playing time, but yeah, uh, you guys definitely did a great job there. So that was, yeah, uh, that, was, that was another tough thing is, getting all those guys minutes, man, our team was absolutely huge. And, you know, those, those top guys want to play 40 minutes a game. And some of those guys on the bench think they're better than those top guys. So yeah, it's a challenge. You know, you also coach with Boo Williams, uh, summer league. 
how do you get connected with Boo and what's it really like trying to buy for the top end talent in Virginia when you got your team loaded, team takeover, another shoe sponsor and powerhouse programs nowadays? Yeah, so I pretty much all my connections in Virginia, you know, were through Chad. You know, Chad, um, he was an absolute workhorse, man. In the spring, he's going to every AU event, every EYBL event, and I'm kind of just tagging along. So, you know, I got to know Boo. You know, we were around the Boo Williams guys, around the Team Loaded guys, around the Team Takeover guys, you know, around all those guys. And um, But he had, he had a real strong personal connection with Boo. And um, it was I actually got on with him the year Chad had left and Curtis Perry was the new head coach. And I stayed on with him for a year. And it was actually during COVID. Um, COVID hit and I was living back in Syracuse at my fiance's mom's house. You know, Massanon had kind of shut down. They told us all to go home. But I had told Boo that I was going to coach with his 16U team. So I was literally driving nine hours from Syracuse <laughs> for a weekend practice. And I would go practice. And then um, I'd stay there, I'd get my own hotel. I'd stay there for the weekend. And then I would drive back. And um, we had a great team, man. Kanye Clary, who was uh, – he's at Penn State now. He was our point guard. Butta Johnson is at UAB. Um we had a bunch of guys, man, and it was it was a good experience, but the EYBL season actually got canceled. So I only coached in one game. We we scrimmaged Team Durant, but I was uh, I was still coming around being being around practice, and I was helping all those guys get recruited. You know, I was making highlight videos for them and sending it out, kind of doing it from home, just just to help the kids out, keep the relationship strong with Boo. So yeah, it was kind of a crazy year, man. I was making those drives and. Massanutten was shut down. It, in theory, it would have been much easier if I was driving from Massanutten, you know, three hours to to Virginia Beach, Hampton area, but it didn't work out like that. During that second season of Massanutten, did you look at trying to go to the college level, or did you feel like you were where you needed to be for the development you needed at that stage of your career? Yeah, I was, um, after I got through the first year, you know, I was really enjoying the prep level. Um, it, it was a really cool feeling helping kids earn division one scholarships and accomplish their lifelong dreams, man. I really, I really enjoyed it. And I was like, man, I'm coaching some of the best players in the country. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than this. I mean, you know, the military stuff had some challenges and all that, but I was, you know, I was coaching great players and high major coaches were texting me and I was, you know, I was really happy. And I just thought, hey, man, if I met 150 coaches in year one, you know, if I keep doing this for a couple of years, I can really build my network and have a bunch of uh, great players on my resume. After that second season of Massanutten, you reunited with Coach Myers down at IMG Academy. How tough of a sell was it? to get recruits to go down to the beach as opposed to a military academy. Yeah, it was much easier. Yeah, it was, uh, it was easy for me to make the jump. Um, you know, my first year with Chad, we, we actually drove vans all the way to Florida, like 20 hours and we played an IMG's event. And, uh, 
We actually beat IMG at IMG. They had uh, Lester Keones at the on the team. We played for the Warriors. They had Terrence Shannon. Absolutely unbelievable team. Thank God we had Sebron. Um, so we go there, and obviously we're blown away by the facilities, uh, you know, the kind of players they have, the culture they have. It was a great experience. So when Chad got the job, you know, I was like, man, I got the dream job. I, you know, we could be there forever. And, and uh, you know, I, so I stayed back at Massanutten for a year. And then when the job came open, I jumped down. And my now fiance, we had started dating, and she moved down to Florida with me. And Chad had put together an unbelievable team. And, yeah, it was a great experience. It, it was much easier. The visits at IMG went much smoother. Team goes 26 and one during that 2021 season. How much different was it also working at a prep school that wasn't a military school, just day in and day out for you? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a much more professional feel um, by the, like, in the fact that it was like, it was almost like an NBA training camp, you know, an NBA, like an NBA facility, you know, you had, there's like 20 teams and, you know, the high school national teams playing on ESPN and you're getting the best post-grad guys. And, um, you know, some of our players weren't even taking classes. They were just coming to read class and they were just doing basketball 24 seven, um, which was very unique. Everybody at Mass Nun was taking classes. So it was crazy. You know, you'd, you'd have a shooting workout in the morning, you'd have practice um, the strength and conditioning program was absolutely unbelievable. You know, the facilities, you got a full-time nutritionist, multiple strength coaches, a mental coach. Um, and it was, a, it was an all encompassing thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I told my dad, if, if I went to IMG as a post-grad kid or as a high school senior, like you can't help but get better there. I would have been a college player. So, you know, and there's just, it's just full of unbelievable people. You know, Brian Nash, who's who's the director of all basketball, was a Division One head coach. You know, Mike Gillian, technical director, was a Division One head coach at Longwood. You know, I was with John Rhodes, who was at Duquesne. I was with Jimmy Carr, who was at um, he was at Rutgers in Rhode Island. So I was around great mentors and um, people that had been in college, and were the kind of people I wanted to be like. So I just I was surrounded by great basketball minds and it's, it's much different at Mass Nun. You know, it, it was just me and Chad and, and Curtis. And then you get there and it's like, all these people are full-time basketball coaches making salaries. They're not teaching gym. They're not teaching class. They don't have any side jobs. You know, they're, they're working camp at IMG all summer. They're coaching a team. They're there all the time. So it's like, you're like a professional coach. Like that's all you do is, is do basketball. I didn't have to be an RA. You know, I didn't have to live in the dorms. I didn't have to teach. It was just basketball 24 seven. So it was much different. So Todd Simon hires you as coaching staff at Southern Utah. What was it like living in Utah and what's it like going back to school for your master's degree? Um, Utah was honestly great. You know, I, um, I, uh, I was working on IMG. I was loving it, but I, you know, I saw an opportunity to get back into college and, you know, 
talked to coach a couple of times, really hit it off. I could tell he was a really great guy that he was a coach on the rise. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a great opportunity for me. Utah was great, man. I really, the reason I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted to go is my parents are in Arizona and, you know, I knew Utah was seven hours away, you know, it was a beautiful area. Um, you know, I was, I was in the gym, you know, I was in the gym, I was in the office, you know, I was doing this basketball thing. So it was pretty much that the whole time I could pretty much live anywhere, but no, Utah was really cool. You know, we were about two and a half hours from Vegas, um, 45 minutes from St. George, which was a really cool spot. Uh, the WAC was a great league. And, um, yeah, it was really high-level basketball. And the, the doing the Masters again, man, that was a challenge. Um, taking a couple classes online, pretty time-consuming. You know, I wanted to get an A in every class. You know, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder and took it personal, like, I'm getting a 4 and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to get this thing, so – yeah, it was a challenge balancing everything, but it was a really good opportunity. Coach Simon really encouraged me to to finish my master's and, you know, told me that it would be really valuable down the road, you know, trying to be a head coach and things like that. So it was challenging, but I'm glad I did it. That's awesome. The Thunderbirds go 24-13, and 13, the second most single season wins in program history. How much confidence did you guys have going into the WAC championship game? in the program's first season in the league. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, man. Um, you know, they had won the big sky two years before that, you know, they had a bunch of veteran guys, a bunch of fifth year seniors and they all knew coaches system. And yeah, we played every game with, with, a, with a swagger, you know, our, our slogan was let them know. And we just, you know, we played with, uh, with a ton of confidence, you know, shot a lot of threes, played really fast, um, scored a lot of points. And, yeah, it was a heck of a run, man, one game away from the NCAA tournament. Um, like I said, all those guys have been playing together a long time. They all really liked each other, um, had a great camaraderie, unbelievable culture, man. It, it was so much fun um, just being around those guys and and getting a chance to be a part of that. You guys faced off against New Mexico State, who had hired Chad Myers uh, to their staff. How cool is that for you personally to go up against you know your former boss? Yeah, it was insane. It was really insane. Like, so I had left and took the Southern Utah job in the WAC. Chad had went and took the New Mexico State job, and our trainer at IMG, who was our trainer for just our team, went to Grand Canyon. So all three of us were in the WAC. Um, you know, it was really cool. I was I was happy to see Chad get back into college and it was cool competing against him. And uh, you know, we beat him twice, but um <laughs> we beat him twice, but man, it was cool, you know. Um he did a lot for me and he really showed me the way. So it was it was pretty cool for us to go from being in Florida to being out in Utah and New Mexico, man. It's it's kind of crazy. Just like this profession. Crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I asked this respectfully, and I, I know it's a delicate situation. When the reports came out about New Mexico State and what was going on there, what goes through your head, not just as, you know, a former assistant um, for Chad, but somebody I'm sure you guys are, you know, friendly, still friendly. 
do you call to check in? Like what goes through your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a tremendous amount of empathy and, and just felt bad for him um, because, you know, out of all the people I've been around, there's nobody as dedicated to basketball as he is. I mean, he started brushing his teeth with his left hand in when he was five years old. So he'd get a better left hand dribble. Uh, he goes to every single AU tournament. He watches basketball. He talks basketball. He doesn't play golf. He doesn't go fish. You know, he's, he's basketball 24 seven. Um, you know, he's just completely obsessed and dedicated to the game and, um, like nobody works harder than him at it. So, you know, I felt bad for him because, I mean, he has he's had tremendous success at IMG in Massanutten, and, you know, he leaves a good situation at IMG, and, you know, he's just, he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. So, yeah, I felt bad for him. But I knew he would bounce back, and uh, he's just he's just too good at what he does, and, you know, he's got an incredible resume. So, yeah, I, yeah me and him are real close still, and he's helped me out a ton, and, you know, we talk almost every day. So, yeah. That's great. I'm glad to see he, he's back coaching over in Massanut, and I know he's going to take that that national high school team to New Heights. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think he'll probably even do a better job with the high school team, you know, just, you know, they're going to be national high school team, and you won't have to take just post-grad kids, you know, be able to take – freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors have a bigger pool. And, you know, there's a lot of good players in the DMV, as you know. Um, so he'll get that thing rolling for sure. You know, you guys have filled out the paperwork for the CBI, accepted a bid prior to Coach Simon accepting the job at Bowling Green. And it, what goes through your mind uh, when you found out that he wasn't going to be coaching the team and the CBI, not just that he was leaving, but, you know, for that immediate future, that CBI. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a tremendous opportunity for, you know, our associate coach to get a chance to coach the team. And, you know, a lot of us that are grinding this thing out will never get a chance to be head coaches. You know, it's, it's really, really hard to get a chance. And, you know, I was just excited for him, you know, and coach Simon gets to, go to Bowling Green and be closer to family and build something cool. And then Flynn got a chance to, you know, coaching the CBI on ESPN too. And yeah, I mean, I was, I was excited, excited for Flynn and excited to help him out. And I knew uh, it would be big for his career, you know, and it would, it would be a cool experience. And I got to go back to Florida. Absolutely. Always, always uh, <laughs> fun to go to Florida. Yeah, you guys blew out. North Alabama in the first round. You had a couple of days off before the game versus Rice. And you guys go on to win by two points in that game. What's the prep like for that that second game? And how did you guys decide to schedule the itinerary for that time off? Yeah, I mean, the the kind of the whole way we um structured the trip was like, let's just go down and play. Let's just go let's just go be us, have fun and go win one more championship, you know? So there wasn't a ton of pressure, you know, it wasn't a ton of stress. I mean, you know, the staff is staying up all night doing these scouting reports and watching multiple games and you're 
preparing for multiple opponents and you're getting film ready to show the team and you know you're figuring it out but I'm I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly after the North Alabama we might have had the next day off and just got them off their feet you know we <laughs> we had an older team bunch of fifth year senior veteran guys like we weren't going to recreate the offense or get too crazy with it you know what we were you know we were one game away from the NCAA tournament we knew we had the right players and um, that we can make some noise. So we kept it We kept it pretty casual as far as the players. Us staff, hey, we were watching a lot of film, but the players, you know, it was, it was just let's chill and let's get off our feet and get ready to win another game. Oh, definitely. You guys lost in double OT to Eastern Kentucky in the semifinals on ESPN2, like you mentioned. What's it like in the locker room after the game? And was there a chance you were going to try to stay on at Southern Utah in an increased role, or was it kind of wait and see? Obviously, you guys had an acting or interim head coach. You know, I'm sure uh, he was trying to get the head job. But what goes through your mind just when the the horn sounds and you know there's zeros on the clock? Yeah, I mean, there was a it was a mixed bunch of emotions. I mean, it was exciting. To, to play in that game and obviously we wanted to win and we wanted to go out as champs for the seniors but um you know we competed and that was a crazy game man I mean it was absolutely insane so you know it was it, it was crazy and we you know I always wanted to work for Todd Simon I mean he's been unbelievable to me you know I you know I wanted to go to Bowling Green um but at the same time we didn't know who was going to be the next coach in Southern Utah? You know, it was, it was, it was a confusing time, but um, yeah, it was, there was some uncertainty, but you know, I was hoping that I'd be getting a call from coach at some point. Now you're one of the, the guests I've had on here. Who's been on both sides of recruiting. What would you say separates good coaches from the not so good coaches in regards to recruiting as far as having your players recruited? And then, uh, obviously, that you've done plenty of recruiting yourself. Yeah, I think, you know, not to sound cliche, but I think the best coaches these days in recruiting can really relate to the player. You know, um, you got to be able to build a connection with them. It's so many of these coaches are stuck in their ways and are trying to coach like they did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And like, you know, it's, it's just so different these days. So I think obviously being able to find some common ground, being able to connect with them, relate to them, and then making them feel like a priority. Like I think at Bowling Green, you know, we do an unbelievable job of on our visits of making it a family atmosphere. Um, but I also think one way at, a head coach can be great at recruiting is having a staff um, that like each other, you know, uh, all of us at Bowling Green, we're all, you know, in our thirties, we're all friends, you know, we all hang out. And I think when a player gets around that and they realize all oh, these guys like each other, they like coming to work, you know, they're young, um, they're energetic. Um, they're going to help us get better. And it's really a family environment. You know, it's kind of hard to put in words, but, I think the best recruiters have a great culture where a player can see himself fitting in right away and enjoying the process because like, you know, it's a heck of a grind, this college basketball thing, um, what these student athletes are required to do. 
And if you're not going to enjoy it, you know, if you're not going to be around coaches and players that you like and you're not going to have fun, it's it's going to be really challenging. Um, it's going to be really difficult because it's just it's so much of a grind. So, yeah, I think the best the best coaches, they create a culture, they create connection and they have a staff um, that players want to be around. And the game's definitely changed as far as the transfer portal name image likeness. Why do you get up in the morning and get excited to coach college basketball, knowing that guys are trying to probably poach your players, they're poaching your recruits, grassroots coaches are fielding offers for your players who in the past were easier to recruit? What makes you so excited to still coach this game of college basketball? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, it can be difficult at times. I think two things. Uh, when I was in prep school, it was really fun to see players sign division one scholarships and, um, you know, put the hat on, put the shirt on and go on and watch them play on TV the next year. Like that was really cool. And one thing that attracted me to going back to college was like, I want to help guys get to the NBA. You know, I want to have a guy get drafted. I want to see a guy play in the league and, and help guys be pros. That That's the first thing. I, and I'll say the second thing, is the most fun I've ever had in basketball was when we made the NCAA tournament at St. Bonaventure. Uh, we beat UCLA in the first four, uh, my last year, the GA. Like there's nothing like the NCAA tournament and I just want to go back. I mean, that's, that's something that wakes me up in the morning. I want to go back to the NCAA tournament. Um, there's nothing like it. There's, there's not even a close second. So helping guys get to the league and let's go to the tournament. No question. That was definitely great reasons. You know, one of the few things the NCAA has gotten right in the re recent years is allowing two additional coaches on the floor. They still can't recruit off campus without a waiver, but how has that rule change affected you and what type of an increased role are you expecting to have this season at Bowling Green? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to say exactly um, because I just got here. You know, I've only been here a little bit. But when I heard about the rule change, you know, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a chance to be an assistant coach next year, be on the floor, you know, maybe to be more involved in scouting reports, uh, more involved in player development, um, you know, more involved in game planning, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's, it's a great way for young guys to kind of break in because – you know, like you get the path with just three spots on a staff, man. Like, you're like, oh, I got to go be a GA. I got to go be a video guy. I got to go be an ops. Maybe I'll be a special assistant. Like, it's really, really hard to break in. Um, so I think the rule change allows you, you know, obviously to be a coach and to get on the floor, um, which is really valuable. And like for me, that was one of the best things about being in prep school is like you're actually getting to coach, you're actually getting to work guys out, you're you're involved and it, it's enjoyable. So those two additional spots, I mean, that's a lot of jobs and that's a lot of opportunity for, for a ton of people. What are your ultimate coaching aspirations and what, if any, timeline do you have for yourself? Yeah, it's, it, it kind of changes, you know, I've, when you get in it, you know, when you get in as manager, you say, you know, I'll do anything 
in the world to be a division one head coach one day, want to go to a final four, you know, you're super aspirational, but I think as my life's gone on, you know, I still have dreams of being a head coach um, at some level. Um, you know, I would, I would be cool being a prep school head coach one day. You know, I like being an assistant. I like working for coach Simon. You know, I think, being an assistant coach at a high major coaching at the highest level, even in that capacity would be cool. But what I've, what I've learned is whatever the level is, like it's fun to be a part of winning and it's fun to be a part of development and it's fun to be a part of helping kids reach their dreams. So like whatever level I'm at, whether it's division one college or back in prep school or wherever, I just want to, I want to be involved in helping guys get better in reaching their dreams. And I think when you're a part of that, when you're a part of winning, when you're part of guys, helping guys get to the next level, it's fulfilling, you know, being a head coach. I mean, I've never been a head coach, but it's hard, man. You're managing all those players, you're managing your staff, you know, it's a lot of pressure, you know, all that stuff. So if you're not enjoying it, if you don't feel like you're really impacting lives, I don't think it'll be fulfilling. So yeah, really, I, you know, I want to be a head coach one day, you know, I want to be a part of a staff at the highest level, but what I'm doing now, helping guys reach their dreams and get better, you know, I'm fulfilled with that. I love it. You've definitely done your share of winning. I don't think you've had a losing season, if I'm not mistaken. Coach, we've come to the segment I call Start, Bench, Cut. I give you three things. You start one, bench one, and cut one. Got it. All right, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. I'm going to say start Nike, cut, uh, bench Adidas, and cut Under Armour, even though we're Under Armour and IMG. But they're just the worst. Sorry. <laughs> All right, PDQ, five guys, Zaxby's. I'm going to start Zaxby's. I'm going to bench five guys, and I'm going to cut PDQ. Okay, basketball movies. Hustle, he got game, white man can't jump. I am going to start. He got game. I'm going to bench white man can't jump, and I'm going to cut Hustle. Coaching changes, Hoop Samurai, Trilly Donovan. Oh, that's that one's tough. That one's tough. I'm going to start Samurai. I'm going to bench Trilly Donovan, and I'm going to cut coaching changes. Last one, Coach. Hoop Dirt, Verbal Commits, Transfer Portal. Uh, okay. I'm – I'm going to start verbal commits. I'm going to bench hoop dirt and I'm going to cut transfer portal. So two or three guests I should have on the podcast. Three guests. I think you should have Steve Curran at George Mason. I think you should have Tom Tom Nairn who's at Bowling Green, and I do one more. 
I think you should have Dwayne Lee at George Washington. Okay. Okay. What advice would you have for coaches trying to get into the profession or work their way up the ranks? Okay. Uh, the advice I would give is don't pay attention to everyone else. I think so many people, and we all do this, I'm guilty of this, we we look at other people's past. Oh, this guy's a Division One assistant. This guy got the GA job I want. You know, this guy's he's already a head coach. When you start comparing yourself, you start thinking that what you're doing isn't adequate, right? You uh when you get comparing, you know, you lose your joy. So what I would do is you just need to focus on doing on blooming where you're planted, right? Whether that's prep school, JUCO, Division three, Division two, wherever. Don't compare yourself to the other. It, it's a long game, you know. Most of the most money you're gonna make in basketball is probably for a lot of guys gonna be in your fifties, right? So I'm still wait. I'm still waiting on that one, coach. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, me too. Uh, while you're young get good at building relationships, build relationships with coaches, um, help players get better, you know, stay focused on whatever your job is and don't compare, don't look up and look around and compare yourself to other people. Do a great job and you'll have opportunity, but you know, it's about relationships. It's about network and it's about helping guys get better. If you help guys get better, those players will vouch for you. You know, if you you build real relationships, those guys will help make phone calls for you. But if you look around and compare yourself to other people, you'll get discouraged. That's great advice. It really is. If listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what, what's the best way? So I'm on Twitter and Instagram. It's just at Bob Gallagher, B-O-B. G-A-L-L-A-G-E-R. That's Twitter and Instagram. And then they can email me at coachgallagher at yahoo.com. Coach, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, this was awesome. Great questions. It uh, made me really think and really reflect. And, uh, no, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate what you do for the game, um, You know, the time you spent, the people you help. Um, obviously, you got to – great network um, and a lot of people that respect you. So it's, uh, it's been great. I appreciate you thinking of me and reaching out. No doubt, man. Look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the beyond the box score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews and rate five stars.